Hello, and welcome back to Broken Oars Podcast. And this is me, Aaron, the Northern One, doing a broken thoughts on the subject of getting started. Now, I don't mean that in the sense of getting a start in rowing, finding a club to make a start at, starting to learn the art and practice and discipline and wonder of moving a boat backwards down a river while looking the way you've just come. I'm talking about taking an inanimate object that is just sitting on the water and turning it into a song of speed and beauty. The act of starting, the act of getting a boat moving, the act of picking it up and getting it moving. And the reason that I'm doing that is because we are into the regatta season. Regattas are happening all over the country, whether you have just been to Tees, whether you are looking ahead to Henley, whether you are doing your local regatta down at the Lee or at Peterborough, whether you are thinking of something that is at Met or Marlow or Wallingford, whether you are thinking about Henley Town and visitors after the circus has left town at Henley, it's regatta season. And that means usually we get to head of the river, we start thinking about regattas and all of a sudden we start thinking about our start pattern. And my first question to all of you is why weren't you thinking about your start pattern way back at the start of the season in August and September? Because the start pattern is the same as any other technical work. It is not something that you should leave until the week before your first summer regatta. The art of moving a boat from a standing start in a multi-lane getting it up to speed and getting into your rhythm and flow is very, very different from the art and practice of picking a boat up and getting it up to your race pace in a head race, which is in turn very, very different from simply getting a boat moving on any other outing that you do. And as such, it's something you should work on all of the year round in the same way that you work on your pause rowing drills or you work on your Russian catches or you work upon your cutting of the cakes, or you work upon your rolling sixes on a stable platform. And that's the first kind of thing that I would like to say about it, because here's the thing. I believe that technical work is just as important as anything that you do to improve your physical ability to output. What do I mean by that? I mean you can do all of the mileage in the world you can increase your VO2 max, you can ex- increase your explosive capacity, your aerobic capacity, your anaerobic capacity, you can take chunks off your erg scores, you can throw weights around the gym, all that you like, and that is great and we should all do that. All of those things are important. Having a good erg score is important, having a good aerobic capacity is important, having a good anaerobic capacity is important, being able to do the miles and being able to do the outing is important. It's really important, as Justin used to say at Agecroft, that you can pull the skin off your own rice pudding, which means in translation that no one else is keeping you in your boat. You are are literally pulling your own weight on the oar. You are earning your seat. But here's the thing. All of that physical prowess means literally nothing. If you have all of the technical ability of a badger trying to work a nuclear blast furnace. Working on technique as hard and as assiduously as you work upon developing your physical prowess 
is basically giving you free speed. Now, you can make technical tweaks to your boat now that will give it five or 10% more speed. And to get that five or 10% from just pure physical work would take you a year. Whereas with the technical work that you do, you might be able to do that in a matter of weeks. Now, I come from Agecroft where we mix technical drills in with lots and lots of mileage and lots and lots of training. But it gave me the attitude that whenever you went out on the water with a series of technical drills, so let's say, for example, you do a front end warm up in your quad or in your eight in pairs or in fours, you build up to full slide, starting with the first six inches, then going to half slide, then full slide, then backs in, then arms in, and then moving from the square blade to the feather. And then once you're in the feather, you build up to firm pressure over three and you hold firm pressure for 10. That's a technical drill. That's not something where you should just be doing it without thinking. You should be using the stable platform to go, right, what's happening in this shell? Why is there a slight twitch to bow side just before we take the catch? Is that someone twitching on their seat? Is that someone not having equal weight on their foot plate? Is that is that a hand height issue? Is somebody rowing it in? Is somebody skying it before the catch? You're using the technical work that you do to identify things that are happening in the boat that you want to eradicate, which will make it go faster. And it's the same if you do a pause rowing drill. So let's say you've done your warm up and you move into continuous paddling and you do 30 or 60 strokes of that and you're sitting at a nice 18. You've done the warm up in your pairs, in your fours, you're now full crew all in. And what you're doing in that first bit is you are looking to sync everything up that you've just done in the warm up and find your rhythm and flow in the continuous paddling. And then you move into a pause drill. So you might pause at backstops and on the call of your bowman or your three man or whoever's making the call, when you say go, you then sync up and coming forward to take the next stroke and pause at backstops again. And you might do that five times or 10 times. And then you might pause at hands away and you might do that five or 10 times working on syncing up and you might work all the way up the slide to three quarters and then into continuous paddling. And what you're looking to do is take the exercise forward into the rowing. I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm not naming any names, but I've been in boats where people treat the drills that the coaches have asked us to do as something they have to suffer through so they can actually get to the rowing rather than use it like a musician would working through their scales and arpeggios or their parallel harmony to look at technical approaches and then take them forward into the music. The drills that we do are our equivalent of that. We are looking to identify problems, to work on aspects in our rowing that we know that we would like to develop and get better at so we can then take it forward into the actual rowing. And even as I say that, I realize that when I say we should take it forward into the rowing, the technical drills are rowing. They should be as hard as continuous steady state paddling. They should be as hard mentally, if you are concentrating, as a hard piece. Um, so with that in mind, why would you train so hard all year, so incredibly hard to make it to T's, to make it to Henley, to make it to Bucks, to make it to 
the Lee to make it to Wallingford or Met and because you want to be there and you want to have a shot in your category why would you work so hard physically all year and then leave it until a couple of weeks beforehand to go oh we need to do our start pattern you should have been drilling it back in August and September what is your start pattern how are you doing it can you incorporate it into your outings of course you can incorporate it into your outings because everybody at some point has to pick the boat up again from it being idle and still and get back into the rowing maybe maybe Dan and I'm using Dan as an example of a coach because Dan is a coach Dan comes across in the launch and he goes just easy there a second chaps fellas girls boys okay that's looking good but what I'd like you to look at is at the front end we're being a little bit heavy with the catch. We want to take the tension out of the arms and the shoulders. And we're looking to rise and let the blades enter the water. We're not chopping it in. And Dan might give us a couple of pointers like that and go, and go right, okay, so when you're ready, let's go off and let's work on that. That's a start, okay? Some crews do it from back stops. Some crews like to start from front stops. So at the moment at Tyne United, their culture of their club is that we start from three-quarter slide generally um, everyone coming forward to front stops three-quarter slide heels down blade squared and buried and we're looking to squeeze and pick the boat up when we are called to go at agecroft we were always coached and told to start from backstops why is that well if you've got eight people in a boat the standard of the technical application in a drill or in something like a start says a lot about the boat so you can have a bunch of rowers who look completely amazing when the boat is moving but on that start it looks like an angry spider waking up after a postprandial nap and waving its legs around angrily while it sorts itself out and it takes five or six strokes before everyone starts to sink up and get back in if you look at really good crews and i was lucky enough to you know row it in good crews at Agecroft but also see some fantastic crews at Agecroft the control is there from the very first movement at backstops it is as smooth and considered when the cox or the bow goes okay full crew from backstops blade squared and buried uh, whatever the call is uh, building to rate 18 steady state attention go the shell doesn't move everyone taps down to the same level at the same time the hands come away smoothly the feather is um, at, at the same time everyone comes forward hands rising to the catch and places and the squeeze is uniform there's no wobbling around it's a nice controlled movement and if you can do that as a technical standard then that's great that means you're a good crew but if you can't do that you should treat it as a litmus test as your, of your ability as a crew and you should practice it until you can because like practicing your scales and your arpeggios as a musician it will indicate that you have developed your technical facility as an oarsman or oarswoman or oars person okay and before anyone goes well you're preaching from on high there um, we often didn't do it very well at Agecroft in fact I remember one particular evening before Henley Dennis had split us into fours in the eight he tied an inner tube around the middle of the boat and he'd made us do power strokes up and down the Irwell um, 
which is a, a rate 12 to 14, hardest stroke you can possibly take, um, the other four sitting the boat. So you're picking up the essentially the dead weight of the shell with four people in it and a tie around it and, and driving it as hard as you can. The theory is that it, it increases the explosiveness at the catch, it increases the explosiveness of the drive phase because it's a lower rate. It also helps to increase your stroke length and your connection from the catch all the way through to the finish so that when everything is taken off and you're all rowing together you should row a longer more powerful stroke getting more send on it because you, you can really feel the weight on the face and really how much you can drive against the pin with the blade in the water before it starts to slip and tear it's very very good exercise to do and because it was age croft and because dennis was alongside us in the launch um he flogged us up and down that river like he was the drummer of a roman galleon and by the time we finished um panting down at the bottom of the long straight below the metro bridge and trafford road bridge three of us were sick over the side and the rest of us literally couldn't speak and dennis said right you can take the inner tube off we're going to paddle home now i want this long and loose rate 18 really pressing the finish and our cox maddie went okay full crew from backstops attention go and we were all over the place we were all over the place and Dennis just went, nope, do that again. And we didn't get it the second time. And this time Maddie went, nope, we're not having that. And then we nearly got it the third time when we started to move the boat off and you could tell that we were all feeling, let's just get forward and get it moving and then it'll be fine. And Maddie and Dennis both went, no, we're not having this. You need to hold yourselves to higher standards and that needs to start in the boat you know that's not good enough and we knew that it wasn't good enough we said we're doing it again rowing is a very simple sport when maddie says full crew from backstops tension go you tap down together you come forward together you place together you push together you repeat that's it and for one reason or another maybe we were tired maybe it was the being sick maybe it was the fact that it was in manchester and the sun was setting and we were scared of being set upon by local gangsters we were there for a good 15 minutes with maddie and dennis going no no oh three strokes well done but still not good enough and then eventually it clicked and we all felt the difference the shell was level the timing was perfect the control of the glide was perfect the placement was perfect you have to hold yourselves to higher standards and you have to treat technical drills not as things that you you burn through to get to the rowing but as things that you engage with just as fully as the mileage and the pieces as a thing that will get you better so with that in mind before we get to talking about regatta starts that applies to just getting the boat moving off the landing stage getting the boat moving mid outing bringing the boat back in after the outing. Try and make everything as good as you possibly can. And if you feel it's not up to the right standard, the standard that you set and you agree upon as a crew, just go, right, easy yours. We're gonna do that again. We're gonna switch on and we're gonna make it better. Because we're looking to make it so that on any given day, our moving average is better than it was the day before. And we can only do that by consistent work. And technical work, is free speed. You will get more speed by applying technical tweaks 
faster, then you can get the same amount of increase in speed by building up your physicality. To make a massive change in your physical capacity once you've been rowing for a while is really hard. You, it might take a season to get 1 or 2% better on the erg, but you might be able to get 5% more speed as a crew by working upon a technical aspect that you know is letting you down. So let's talk about the idea of starts. So if we're starting a race, and it's a head race, we all kind of know what we have to do. We're down in the pool below the start line, our cocks or our bow calls us to go, we know that we've got a 5 or a 10 second gap between the crew ahead and the crew behind. And we know as rowers what we are trying to do is we are trying to steal a little bit of time and distance back from the crew that's ahead of us and we're trying to push the crew behind us as far away as possible but we're trying to do it in a way that the marshals don't notice and call us for. So we look like we're paddling easily but we're just putting a little bit in just to creep back up and just to push the other crew away. And what usually happens is you paddle towards the start, your cocks or your bow will know where the start is and they will go, right, we are approaching the start line, we are going to start to wind and we are winding and we are winding and we are driving and we are driving and what you're doing is you're going from your rate 18 to whatever your agreed race pace is. Um, Peter and Dennis basically said you have to sit at 34 if you're in an 8 doing a head race for Agecroft and the thinking behind that was okay let's say that you have two evenly matched crews let's say for the sake of argument they're doing something let's pick something where we can do the maths quite easily um, you, you both average a two minute split per 500 over 6,000 meters okay if you sit at 34 and they sit at 32 over those 6,000 meters those two extra strokes a minute turn into a winning margin even though you're doing the same split okay so it's about being able to recycle the speed like that so what you're doing in a head race is you pick the boat up from the paddle and as you wind as you wind as the boat speed comes up as the shell speed comes up your rate comes up with it and that's part of the theory that you should never ever move faster than your boat um, you should be working in harmony with it so as the speed comes up the rate comes up and at some point your cocks or your bow will go okay we are hitting our rate we are into our rate now and we are settling on this rate in three in two in one and lengthen out and send it away and we are sitting here boys that is our rhythm you've established your rhythm and your ratio the regatta start is a slightly different beast it is a different kettle of badgers because what you have to do is you have to pick up a boat from a dead weight standing start and get it to its top sustainable speed as quickly as you possibly can. There are lots of reasons for this. Firstly, um, at the lower levels, regattas can be won and lost off starts. It's to learn to row through someone over a thousand meters or two thousand meters takes a lot of time and a lot of racing and it's very easy if you're not used to it and you're not used to regattas to get taken off the start by someone who's got a cleaner start than you and you can't see them even if they're only a length up or a length and a half up 
and it's a long course, a thousand meters, you've got plenty of time to come back on them, same over 2000 meters, but because they've got the psychological advantage, because they can see you, because they're out in front, they can relax, and maybe because you are behind, you get a little bit tense, you start to chase the rate a bit, you're not taking full strokes, you're trying to lash it to get back on even terms with them. So the start is a really, really important part of regatta racing. What I've just talked about there about getting out in front was something that GB elite rowers tend to like to do. If you look back at a lot of our world championship and our Olympic success, um, Redgrave always said, get out in front, then you can see what everyone's doing, and then if they make a move, you can cover it. Um, obviously, people like Andy Hodge have experience of coming from behind at Beijing um, and things like that, but generally, by and large, if you do side-by-side -side racing and you can get out in front and you are into your rhythm, you tend to relax. And if you are relaxed when you are rowing, you row much, much better because you are getting into your flow. You are relaxing. I can see them. I'm relaxed. We're in a good rhythm. I can see them. We're ahead. This is good. We can stay here. And then you can start doing all the mental calculations that you do. Okay, I'm at, I'm at 85%. This is good. I can sustain this. If I push harder, I'll spend more money in terms of my physical capacity. Um, have I got an extra percent that I can give? Yes, I have. I'm going to give it. But can I give another one? No, I can't because that will put me into my red zone and that will mean that all of the things that you do, all of the things that you play with, all the things that you learn during the erg sessions and the outings and the pieces about measuring your energy, about how you feel in the boat with the workload that you're doing, you can start to think about things like that. Um, so getting off to a standing, from a standing start is an interesting one because a men's heavyweight eight sitting on the start line at a regatta weighs the best part of a tonne weighs the best part of a ton and you've got to pick that up and you've got to accelerate the shell to your racing speed probably above your racing speed um, to get it moving and then you've got to somehow transition and come down into the maximum speed that you can sustain for the length of the course now there will be some of you out there who think that you don't need to do that. You might be going, yeah, but we have a great finish. So what we do is we tend to just kind of sit down in the pack and then in the last 300, we really wind it up and go for it in the same way that the Searle brothers did against the Abignalis in, uh, at the Olympics. Um, that's certainly one way of doing it. It's certainly a way that is incredibly exciting and dramatic if you can pull it off. But if you talk to an Eric Murray or a Drew, a Drew Jin, or if you talk to a Peter Holmes or a Dennis O'Neill, the fastest way to get between two points in a straight line is the highest speed you can sustain for the entire distance. The fastest way between two points is the fastest you can do it and hold it at that speed. If you are like lightning off the start and then you sag in the middle and then you try and pick it up again at the end, it's not an efficient way to do it. Kev Maynard at Agecroft used to say, lads, what wins races is high averages and no mistakes. What is, the, what is the fastest you can make it go? Hold it there. Don't make any mistakes. He used to say, look, you might be taken off the line. 
someone might take you, you off the line. You have to have the confidence in the work you've done, the training you've done individually and together, that they might be quicker than you off the start line, but they won't get over the finish line faster the, than you because you will hold your form, you will hold the highest average you can over the distance. It's the time over the distance that counts. And part of that is a good start pattern. And if you are just practicing them now, that's fair enough. But next year, start practicing them in September and October and just work on them so that everyone in the club knows what the start pattern is and you can do it in your sleep. A good start pattern feels simultaneously brutal. The acceleration is phenomenal but it also feels springy and elastic because everyone is in time and everyone is in sync because you've worked on it so much. You know why you're doing a half slide here and a three quarter here. You know what no backs means. You know what wind means. You know when your cocks call swing, what it means because you've done it a million times rather than just last week when you all said, hey, what are we doing for our start? So. Regattas might not be won off the start, but they can be lost off them. So the very least that you need to be able to do is to pick the boat up and get it to its optimum cruising speed as quickly as possible. That's it, as basically as that. Most crews start thinking about start patterns in the weeks before a race, but grooving in the start pattern long before you need it is as important as working on your catch or your drive or your finish or your fitness. It's something you should be developing and working on and thinking about all the way through the season. Why is this? As we've just said, your start pattern at a regatta is there to get your boat up to its top sustainable speed as quickly as possible. It will probably mean that you go into a higher rate and then you push down into your rhythm, the rhythm that you're looking for over the rest of the course. You do not settle. Never, ever, ever call settle because everyone goes, oh, settle. Instantly relax. Languaging is really important in rowing. Once you, let's say your, your eight goes off the start and it, it goes off and it's hitting 44 and 46, and what you want to do is go down the Henley course at 38 or down the Wallingford course at 38. You don't call settle, you call push into rhythm. So you're at 44 or 46, your cox calls push into your rhythm. We are sitting back in three, in two, and one. And you are holding, you are holding the pressure that you're putting in, but you are lengthening out and you are sitting back on your finish, which does not mean that everything stops. It means you are completely finishing each stroke by sitting back on your finish and you are letting it go and the rate comes down from 46 to 43 to 40 to 38 and it doesn't feel any different in terms of the pressure and the force that you're putting in. The water is moving by more quickly so you have to be much more clever with your hands to get hold of it and apply the force but you are now recycling the speed you have pushed down into your rhythm you have pushed into 38 and you are recycling your speed how do we do that then well like we said we are picking up a dead weight from a standing start a men's heavyweight eight will weigh the best part of a ton each person in the crew has to pick up their body weight plus their section of the shell and then catch it and pick it up again before it has a chance to slow down. This is why we use the, I don't know, 
the three quarter, three quarter, half, half, three quarter, three quarter, winding to full with no backswing, winding to backswing sort of patterns. I've already said in this little broken thoughts that the general idea is that you should never move faster than your shell. You should never move faster than your boat. So, so rate comes up with boat speed, rate goes down with boat speed. Um, but when you are trying to pick up the weight of the best part of a ton, you might go, right, we're going to do two three quarters or we're going to do a three quarter into two halves. Why are you doing that? Because you're going to drive brutally for the three quarter and then before the boat has a chance to start slowing down, you're going to come forward and take a half and a half. So you're constantly catching the boat and picking it up and accelerating it again before it has a chance to slow down. Like like the old-fashioned spinning tops you are you are constantly keeping it moving you're constantly building up its speed and that's why we use things like three quarters and halves now as we said ordinarily a rower should never move faster in the boat than the boat itself is moving it's a good rule to move by in terms of sorting out your flow and your ratios and your rhythms um, and when we build up or go down in rate, our rate comes up or goes down as boat speed increases and decreases, so we're always moving in harmony with the boat. This is the idea that the boat will always tell us what it wants. We just have to listen to it. I would suggest, and feel free, dear listener, all one of you, to get in touch if you feel that, 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 that I'm making a technical faux pas here, but I feel that the start is the one place where this rule doesn't apply because we have to pick up the boat and re-accelerate it towards the top speed that we're aiming for before it has a chance to slow down. We have to move faster than the boat in this instance, but we have to do it in a way that does not upset the boat. A good object lesson in this is to go and look at Steve Redgrave in a boat in his early years in 84 and 88 when he's getting it off the start line. For such a big man he is moving incredibly dynamically and explosively and incredibly quickly to catch the boat, catch the boat, pick it up, drive it, drive it, drive it, drive it, drive it towards the top speed. And then you'll see he starts to lengthen and he starts to um, move towards the rhythm that he wants to hold for the rest of the race. So to do this, how can we do this? Okay, well here's a, here are a few ideas. To pick up a boat from a standing start, we have to exert a maximal force against the pin and the lock that the blade has in the water. Now, I have been in boats with some people, uh, no names, no pack drill, who talk about um, ripping the water. Oh, you're ripping the water, you're ripping the water. That can happen, but it generally happens if your back is not braced in the right way or if you are pulling or tugging with your hands. Generally, and this is a really good one to try, it's a fun one to try for the whole crew, you can quite literally, if your back is in the right place and your blade is locked in the water and you've got pressure on the face and pressure against the pin, you can literally stand up in your boat by driving back. Water does not compress. If you put water in a four-dimensional vise, so a meter squared of water in a four-dimensional di four uh, vise, so that's a ton of water, and you try to squash it, it will not compress. It will compress fractionally, but it will not compress. 
what you're feeling when you're feeling the blade rip is you're feeling a slippage in the water because you are pulling faster than the actual force that you are exerting against the pin against the blade in the water and you're usually doing that when you bring your upper body in and you bring your arms and shoulders in and you pull that's when you get slippage but if you come forward to row imagine doing it right now and you let's say you're in a quad and so your blades are squared and buried you're going to take a three-quarter stroke um, to practice your start you can literally stand up you can come off your seat because you can apply so much force to that um, and that's what we're looking for we have to be lifting ourselves off our seats with the force that we're generating we will not rip or tear the water if our hand heights or our body positions are in and our body positions are in the right place so shoulders loose back braced legs driving we can drive against the blade in the water and against the pin much harder than we think we can much much harder than we think we can go back to the episode with pete holmes and hear him talking about how dynamic and how aggressively you can take the catch if you've got clever hands and good timing and how that instantly translates into a surge in boat speed so go out get warmed up get loose find a nice quiet bit of the river and experiment with this practice and see how much force you can generate against the dead weight of the shell if you've got a good lock on you've got good connection with the pin and how much you can drive back now once we've done that for our first three quarters let's say we're doing three quarter half half three quarter three quarter if this is our start we have to be fast and clever with our hands being fast with our hands put us in the right position in terms of being arms away and rocked over so we can still control the slide now when I talk about being fast with the hands, I am not talking about throwing them away. I'm not talking about being in a hurry once the legs are down to get to the end of the stroke by tugging. That is a cardinal sin. Fast with the hands might be the wrong way of putting it. We have to be smooth with our hands. We have to finish the stroke, let the hands come away. And the amazing thing is if we do it right, the boat will actually take us to our next stroke it'll take us to our half from three quarters to half the boat will actually take us there we don't have to dive forward to get the next stroke and we go three quarters bang and the boat's there the boat is already there it's coming towards us as we are moving forward to take the next stroke and this is where it's really really important especially if you're in any crew, but especially in any crew where you might have different sized people in it, you have to be very, very precise about your slide lengths, which is why you should be really, really careful about applying yourself just as much to the technical drills as you do the physical work. Because when someone calls half slide rowing, you should all know exactly what half slide is. You should know what it means in terms of where your hands are, where your, where your back is. You should know what quarter slide looks like. You should know what three quarter slide looks like. And you should have enough control of your slide and your um, technical ability should be such that at any point, if your bow person or your cox or your coach says, right, we're going to three quarter slide for the next X amount of the piece, 
you will hit it every time. You will not steal a little bit more at the front. You will not half arse it and shorten it. You will hit your three quarter because you know what it looks like. You've made your visual marker points on the shell, on the sax board. This is three quarters. This is what it looks like. This is what it feels like. This is half. This is when I'm at half slide, my hands are here and I take the catch here. When I'm at three quarter slide, my hands are here, I take the catch here. Learn these things because it's about the precision. There's no point doing a three-quarter, half, half, three-quarter, three-quarter, starting to wind if you're all doing different lengths. The whole point about doing that sequence is the three-quarter puts the power down, the half, the half is picking the boat up, picking the boat up, and re-accelerating it, and re-accelerating it, and recycling that speed before it has a chance to slow down. If you are going three-quarters, but our half is more like another three quarters and then I'm really actually sitting back on my second half and then I'm not going to three quarters, I'm kind of, it's more like a full. Uh, there's no point, literally no point in you doing it. No point in, in you doing it. It's the difference between having the time to be precise about our slide and being all over the place. We row shortened slides at the start because if we all row any longer at that point, the shell will have slowed back down again and we'll have to pick it up from a standing start again. And if we are all not precise about it, we will look like the angry spider waking up from a postprandial nap. Remember, we're doing this so we can catch the shell before it starts to decelerate so we can start accelerating it again towards our top sustainable speed. Being fast with our hands is not the same as throwing them away. The hands come in and out at the same speed. This rule never changes whether you're at 18 strokes a minute or 38 strokes a minute or 48 strokes a minute. Watch your hands as they come in on that first three quarter and then match the speed going out. You can punch the finish, control the hands, the boat is already moving towards you, just let it take you to half slide and catch it up again. The lock that we have in the water comes from our hands, clever hand feel. The lock we have in the water means that we are transferring our drive to the pin. Our shoulders and backs have to be in the right place so they're braced to transfer the power that we're generating. This means that once we've taken that first three quarter and the hands have, smooth, have flowed smoothly round the turn, that takes us into our rock over so that we are set, so that when we come to the next stroke, our next half, our backs and shoulders are in the right place and braced to transfer the power that we're about to generate. That means getting our rock over set we're not dashing forward, we're not lurching forward, we're not throwing ourselves forward. We've got time. We've got time to rock over and set and hold the slide and control it, maintain our brace position and to the catch and we drive again and we're driving back on it again. Being clever with your hands, working on the feel that you can, that you can develop puts everything in order so that when we take the catch we can feel it and get our lock in the water instantly and then drive the shell past the pin again. If we're rushed and we're diving for the catch or we're rowing it in because we think we have to be fast and we're heaving at the water and we're chopping it, we're not moving the boat. We're just thrashing up and down the slide. Remember, a good start sequence is as controlled as a rate 18 steady state. And you only get there by practicing it over and over in the same way that you practice your rate 18 steady state. Nothing changes about the stroke. 
everything just moves a little bit faster. Now, here's a secret. A good start does not feel heavy after the first stroke. The first stroke feels heavy because we are being brutal. We are standing up out of our seats to get hold of that and get this dead weight moving. But from that point, if everyone is moving to the right point of the slide, if everyone is being disciplined about their three quarters and their halves, the start starts feeling springy and elastic. We are driving the blades hard in the water. Yes, we're driving them hard in the water against the pin. And then we are riding the boat to catch it again and drive it on again before it has a chance to slow down. Why is it usual that there's no backs at this point? Well, that's an interesting one and I'd welcome anyone's feeling on it, but my understanding of it is, until we accelerate the shell and we get to the speed that we want it to get to, the shell is not moving fast enough for us to fully open the hips and fully pivot the body weight back against the pin and really sit back into that long stroke because what we want is a shortened stroke to get the spinning top moving, to get the speed up. We're holding ourselves upright because we're using that brutal leg drive to accelerate three quarter, half, half, three quarter, three quarter, all upright. Once the boat is starting to move, however, we call the wind because we're still adding speed to the shell. We're still catching and adding to that initial surge so that even though it's technically at full stroke, it isn't as we're not adding that final hip hinge and sit back and lengthen out and sit back and put a finish on it. We're still moving faster than the shell at this point, so we're staying upright because we are whipping the top up to its top speed. The call for backs in, this is important, when the backs come in, when we start to hip hinge, when we start to lengthen out, and some people call it a transition, I tend to call it as a and swing in three, in two, in one and sit back on it and lengthen and sit back on it. The call for backs in is not a call to add anything with the backs and arms. If you are doing what you need to do with your leg drive, you can't, so don't try. It's a, full, it's a call for our hip hinge to fully open out against the pin and we reach our long cruising stroke, the stroke that we are gonna sustain for the bulk of the race. So why do we call that call? As we've just said, those are the reasons. Because we are about to begin the transition into the maximum speed we can sustain over the distance. It's the easiest way to win a race by sustaining the fastest speed you can over the distance. If you can call a push at the end of 2K where you are genuinely going faster than you did at any other point in the race, you are not going hard enough in the rest of the race. If you look at any top-end crews when they call for pushes in the last 300 or 500 and then you look at their metrics over the course of the race, even though they've put a push in, the last 500 is usually the slowest of all four quarters. So the push is there not because they're suddenly going to surge ahead and win. The push is like the men in the 100 meters. It's who can, who can hold the deceleration the longest, who can slow down the deceleration the longest to get them over the line. They're not pushing to accelerate to win, they're pushing to try and slow down the inevitable deceleration that they are experiencing at that point in the race to see if they can hold on. 
all we can do is hold off the in uh, inevitable deceleration longer than the other crews. Back at the start, when we call backs in and or swing, what we're doing is we are matching our movements to those of the boat. So up until this point, we've been moving faster than the boat to pick it up and pick it up and pick it up and build it up to speed. Now we are going to match our rhythm and our ratio to the speed of the boat. That we're sitting back at the finish. That means holding our connection, not sagging down and collapsing. Sitting back at the finish does not mean that the hands are stopping at the finish. The hands are moving in and out at the same speed. We're letting the boat come to us at the catch so that we are getting our maximum efficient length and swing. If anyone's been in a boat that has moved really well over short, brutal pieces like a K or 2K, when it moves well, you can sit at rate 38 and you feel like you've got all of the time in the world because you're just bang and on. I've got time. Bang, I've got time. Bang, I've got time. It feels like the boat is moving really fast but everything in the boat is slowed down. You've got, you feel like you've got so much time. That's what you're looking for, the sense of time in a boat, sense of time. Because we are now moving faster in our boat, the water is moving faster beside us, it will no longer feel heavy. It will not feel as heavy as it did in that first stroke. But we are still needing to drive the same as we did in the transition period or the boat will start to slow down. To do that, we have to get used to the fact that the water now feels different on the end of our blade. We have to know what that feels like, but we still have to apply the same force in the efficient arc. That can only come with practice. So once you're, if you're, I know um, some people who find anything above rate 30 a huge challenge, um, but I feel much more connected at 24. I can feel the connection at 26. Yeah, of course you can, because everything's moving slower, so you've got more time to get hold of the water. Being able to sustain longer pieces at rate 30 and above has got nothing to do with fitness, if you already have the fitness. It's to do with practice. You need to practice sitting at 32, 34, 36 for long periods of time to get used to the feel of it, to get used to the feel of the rhythm and the ratio and what's required. And once it starts to click, it feels as natural as sitting at rate 18. Um, somebody I used to run with called Kirsty Wade uh, said, going fast is not about going fast. It's about being relaxed at speed. And the only way you can do that is to actually do things at that intensity, at that tempo. Because then you go, oh, right. Oh, okay, now I get it. This is what rate 30 feels like. Uh, and the first time you do it, it'll be like, oh my God, that's terrible. That's, it's, everything's moving so fast. It's so difficult. It's so hard. But if you keep doing it, you go, okay, now I get it. I'm feeling uncomfortable here. Yeah, of course I am because I'm working hard. That's fine. But it's a comfortable uncomfortable. And this is the rhythm and the ratio at 32. And now that I'm getting used to it, I can start to play with it. Okay, so I, I don't actually have to shorten up my catch. I've got time to get in. I don't have to pull at the finish because the boat because my leg driver is gonna bring the handle towards me. I can just use my hands to kind of hang on and just to kind of guide everything, just, just to kind of hold everything. Use the arms as a conductor. Don't have to tug the finish out. Don't have to rush forward. I've got time. I've got time because it's becoming more familiar because I've practiced it. Um, so 
we all feel connected at rate 18, at rate 20, at rate 22, at rate 24, because we can feel the weight of ourselves and our shell on the face of the blade. All of those elements are still there at the higher rates, but because everything is moving faster, it feels lighter. You just have to get used to feeling it in the fingertips on the hands and still driving it the same. We still need to drive just as hard. If we do, our drive will force us to hold the connection through to the finish and the boat speed that we generate will allow us to swing and get our maximum efficient length at the catch. Now, this all sounds very complicated. It's not. It's just practice. It's just repetition, like everything else in rowing, in art, in music, in life, over and over again. I would suggest, even though regatta season started, um, go out on the river and literally start with the first stroke. Start by experimenting how much force you can generate against the pin and the blade. And once you're feeling that solidity, bring in the next stroke. Will it be messy? Of course it will be messy. Who cares? It doesn't matter. The mess goes with practice, and it's better to be messy in practice on your own river where no bugger can see than it is to do it on the start line of the island with everybody watching. Work as a crew on matching your movements precisely with your partner in the front in the boat and then in the boat overall. Don't worry about getting it wrong. Like everything else in rowing, these are hard skills that take time to develop. Remember, we do this for fun, so have fun with it. And once you start to develop your start, you will feel how springy and how elastic it feels. And once you get familiar with moving at higher speeds in the boat and whipping the boat up to a top speed and then transitioning and what that feels like, the more times you do it, the more you go, yeah, I've been here before. I know what I'm doing. I've been here before. I've got time. I've got time. I know what's happening. Practicing something takes the fear out of it and it takes the, oh, the tension. I'm not used to doing this. Let's just get off the start and then we'll kind of work it out as we go. No. Treat your starts, whether it's a regatta start, whether it's a head race start, whether it's starting again in the middle of the outing, whether it's full crew from backstops or full crew come forward to row. Treat it as a fun litmus test of where you are in your rowing journey and where you would like to be. Okay, every technical aspect can be developed and in doing so, it will make us all better rowers and it will make us all better crews and we'll all have much more fun. And it's, that sounds a really bold, 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 bold claim to make because we already have so much fun in rowing. We really do. But mastering something gives us all a massive sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. So let's work on these hard skills. They're not arcane, they're not mysterious, they're just something that you practice and then eventually they click. So, there you go. There's some thoughts on the start or getting started. Talk to you all soon. Buy us a coffee. Love you all. Great to see so many of you out and about and I hope to bump into some more of you soon. Bye-bye for now.